Today, I want to discuss the ideas around Jesus and his death sacrifice. First of all, I want to preface this by saying that I am an engineer and my mentality has been always that of an engineer in terms of my journey of faith and understanding God has uh, been in the very beginning very difficult because it's a thing that relies largely on faith in the beginning. But I came to discover over time that when I made that leap and chose to ignore all of those big looming questions that I just couldn't answer, that eventually I started to see the logical reasoning behind a lot of the things that are written in the Bible and that really just explain to me how all of this is real and true. Faith is a very important key component to all of this, but I am now a very firm believer that that's only the beginning and that all of this is so deeply intertwined with our reality that everything aligns on levels and so many levels and you just have to spend your entire life constantly seeking and trying to understand with a very open mind as to what or how all of these things do align, logically speaking. Because we've been told oftentimes in churches or by just Christians in general that we're supposed to walk by faith alone. And faith, like I said, is a very important component. But I also see that it's possible now to move beyond that and that we can, by logical reasoning, start to see things aligning and explaining everything. And to me, the truth is definitely going to align in every single sphere. And what I mean by that is biologically, psychologically, I mean, philosophically, and just every single possible sphere of understanding, the whole truth and the will definitely have to align and make sense. It's just a question of figuring out exactly how. And it doesn't mean that we have the ability to figure everything out in our lives, but if you keep an open mind and you do walk by faith and you trust in God and you open your arms and your eyes and your heart and your spirit to him, he's able to lead us and give us those answers that we seek. I just learned very early in my journey that requiring these answers is the thing that pushes God away. If we can learn to love him first and understand him first and have faith first, then beyond that, he will begin answering questions. And so today, the discussion that I want to have is sort of some kind of revelations that I personally feel like I've had. And not to say that I fully understand everything or know the truth, but I personally feel like I'm starting to see some things align in the logical sense, and it's starting to make faith become much easier, and I just wanted to share this. So moving on to the topic of Jesus. As a Christian growing up, this whole idea of his sacrifice and his death has sort of become, I guess we've sort of become desensitized, or at least I did, to this idea. 
and it almost has become trivialized. It's not something that I ever fully, truly understood if we're talking about in terms of why that was the way that God had to do everything and why it was truly, truly necessary. You know, there's, you can just say, and it's often said that his death was to save us, was to, his death was to save us and to show us, I guess, the death of the flesh and the resurrection of the spirit. But to truly accept that and truly understand it is a whole nother thing. And to truly see the actual importance of it, because when I think about God, I'm trying to imagine an infinite being. And why exactly is that how he had to save us? Why couldn't he, for example, snap his fingers and just, you know, just extinguish sin? and not go through this whole death not go through all of this pain that he had to go through the death of jesus seems very trivial to me before i really started to understand it all and i believe that the true depth of all of this is infinite bottomless and we have to really truly explore this So to really understand this, we have to go back to the beginning. And this is all just my opinion and my thoughts. I'm not claiming that I know anything. I'm always open to learning and understanding more. And I just want to put these thoughts out there to share in hopes that it might help somebody else who comes from a similar place of trying to logically explain God and Jesus and trying to logically understand it, but who is just really struggling to do that. So we go back to the beginning. The idea of Adam and Eve and original sin. Adam and Eve existed in a state where they were sinless. So what exactly does that mean? So the spirit of God is one that we are all infinitely interconnected with while infinitely separated from God himself because of our flesh. So the spirit that we have is a piece of God. But in order to distinguish us as individual self-thinking creatures, he added this element of the flesh in the beginning and that allowed us to create this sort of distinction this separation between god he took his spirit and he put it in a union with this thing called flesh and limited us in terms of our lifetime while connecting us with this infinite sort of uh, this infinite side this spirit and the question comes up is why exactly did he want to do that if we think about it god the spirit himself if he just took a piece of the spirit of himself and separate himself from it there's really no way for him to separate from it as being he's an infinite god in an infinite realm and even if it somehow was possible which it's not it's a, it's just a contradiction the idea even if it was possible the spirit is no different than god himself it's perfect in terms of it's exactly the same as him but god needed a lover he needed he wanted or you know i can't exactly rationalize the reasoning behind it 100 percent with 100 percent certainty but being a creature of god i can rationalize and understand the feeling of loneliness and the desire of having another creature 
to be able to share experiences with. So he wanted to create a being that was connected with him, but also separate. And so in came this amazing, amazing thing called creation, which is the flesh, which is the union of the spirit and the flesh. Okay, which is Adam and Eve, of course, in the beginning. So in the very beginning, there was no sin. What does that mean exactly? No sin means that there was a perfect union. On this side, we have the spirit. On this side, we have the flesh. They come together in perfect harmony, in perfect union, and perfect balance. Whereas the flesh and the spirit are essentially two as one. And so the spirit is very unique and different in the sense that before the flesh existed, we would have had just the spirit, the spirit and only the spirit of God, which means there was absolutely no contrast. There was nothing to contrast. The spirit was not a thing. In a way, it's uh, only from the reference point of the flesh can we see that the spirit is sort of like an emptiness in a way. You know, it's a thing that's not really a thing. I like to relate it to the empty space of the universe. It's very present. It's very here, but it's not a thing. It's the opposite of a thing, you know. And if there was not any matter, if the physical realm didn't exist in any way, shape, or form, there would be nothing to say that this thing is even a non-thing, the thing of, the, of space. Space wouldn't even be a non-thing. For us, it's a non-thing because we can contrast it against the flesh and in, 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 in contrast with matter, in contrast with the things of the universe that we know and, that, and what we are. We can contrast that and see that the spirit, like empty space, is everywhere. It's infinitely connected to us, yet it is not us. You know, it is necessary for us, but it is absolutely not the whole picture. We're almost more not that than we are this, while almost being completely that thing too, if you can understand. So, the flesh and the spirit were in this infinite harmony where, which means that the flesh was as little of prominence as possible and the spirit was as in the highest state of being in terms of flesh as possible. I like to think about it as like a sliding scale. In the center, we have the union of flesh and spirit coming together. And when we start thinking about what sin is, sin is us moving away from the spirit here and from the center point, moving closer towards a reliance on the flesh. Because all of the things that are considered sinful are things that gratify our flesh. And we know deep down that they're not virtuous. All of these things that we hold so true and near as Christians or even just people who aren't Christian virtues in general, they're all so prominent and so heavy, yet they're not things. They're not flesh. And the most important, most valuable things that we know of, for example, love, it is the greatest thing, yet of the most little existence in terms of the relation between matter and not matter and, and, and empty space. So it's like, it's the greatest thing that there is. 
yet we can't hold it. We can't touch it. We can't put our finger on it. And that's what the spirit is. The spirit of God is those things that are infinitely amazing, infinitely indescribable. You're never able to truly hold it. Yet their value stands beyond anything in the world, in the flesh, in, the, in this realm. So trying to understand sin is like this for me. So we can move closer towards a reliance on the flesh on our own. But we can't move the other direction. We can't move further from flesh back towards the perfect centered spot of being in a complete harmony of the spirit. So this initial point where God created Adam and Eve, this centered position, it is not something that you can leave, go towards the flesh and then come back towards on your own. And the reason for that is that every single act that we have in this world, that is a fleshly, a physical act, every single thing we do with our flesh is going to definitely leave a mark in history, a mark on the planet. Essentially, for every single action, there is a reaction. So if you somehow or I somehow sinned, while yes, I am able to I'm able to repent of the sin. I'm able to become, you know, right with God again, but of course this will I'll talk more about this later. This is not technically possible in the beginning of all of this. This repentance, this only comes with Jesus, and this is what I'm attempting to explain why. Why it was necessary for repentance. So essentially, every single thing that you do in this physical realm is going to only potentially move you away from the spirit, but you can never move back because every single action has a reaction in this world, and you can never erase that reaction from having happened. Every single thing you do, there the history is there. Every single step you take, every single tiny thing exists in the realm and is impossible. It's like a chemical reaction. It's like, you know, like boiling an egg or baking a cake or anything. You know, it, it, it's entropy. There's absolutely no way to truly undo any fleshly act other than by completely starting over and destroying everything and creating a new universe. And now why is it that God didn't just create Adam and Eve and prevent this? Prevent them from moving more towards the flesh and away from the spirit. If he is an infinite God, it's a very large question in a lot of people's minds, as it was in mine, as to why he didn't just prevent the sin and didn't just allow us to forever live in this state of perfect harmony with God's spirit and the flesh. So this is completely the way that it is, is completely necessary for everything to be. In other words, the state that God created us in harmony with the potential for falling into the realm of flesh and a greater reliance of flesh. Essentially, he had to create this field or this potential energy. This, the, he had to create the potential for us to fall away from the spirit and move towards the flesh. He had to. And he had to for our sake, for the reason that you just simply cannot have an autonomous self-thinking being without that potential. Because not having that potential whatsoever means we would have simply, as I was talking about earlier, been 
spirits. We would have only been spirits because we would have only been spirits and therefore we couldn't have been distinguished from God enough to be different, to be able to love him the most. If God just takes a piece of himself, of his spirit, and allows it to exist and somehow is able to separate himself from it. If that thing loves God, does it really love him? If we really understand what love is, love is a choice, true love. Love is a choice in its greatest form. Love is unconditional. Love is in spite of everything. Because a piece of God's spirit would have known him. It would have been him. It would have been him to such a degree that it's impossible that it wouldn't have worshipped him or praised him. Or it's like It's almost like if we created a robot right now that loves us does it really love us we programmed this thing to love us is that real love no god needed to create a being or a creature that could love to an infinite degree which meant it had to be separate from the spirit which meant also that they're now introduced this new variable, the potential of not loving him and of going away from the spirit. Because now with the introduction of material, of, the, of matter, with the introduction of matter, now all of a sudden there exists a relationship there exists contrast in the universe. Now all of a sudden, where before it was just the spirit and only the spirit, now, and, and in a way not anything almost, because there's nothing to compare it to. It's like you can't have up without down essentially. So this spirit coming into contact with flesh required the potential for things to go really far, infinitely away from the spirit. Because now that creates a relation, a relationship of the spirit and the flesh. Whereas now us beings, physical beings have a choice of moving of of lo of loving God and embracing our spirit, or of moving away and not, and and that's that's what love is. Love is a choice. Like I said, it has to exist as a choice; otherwise, it's not love. And being a choice, it means there has to be the potential for the choice to go the opposite direction. There has to be a way to go the opposite direction. And so, this is the necessary fundamental reason for original sin and why God could simply not prevent it. He could have prevented it, but we would have been completely different beings. We wouldn't have been necessarily autonomous or loving or able to think, perceive on our own. We would have simply been the spirit of God. And Adam and Eve, I'm trying to understand how exactly they lived and what they were exactly. It's a very strange thing to imagine the union and the perfect union of spirit and flesh. So, as I was saying, the flesh is able to move further into the fleshly realm, but you're never able to undo history and undo the effects on matter and take back 
the things you've done to grow once again centered and reconnected with your spirit, which is the spirit of God. You're never able to move backwards, back towards the spirit because of history, because that would completely go against time. It would go completely against the fundamental laws of the universe and nature of everything. So Adam and Eve, they existed in this potential. God created us, and I imagine he created Adam and Eve, and I imagine he was just hoping that these beings would just choose to dwell in that spot, in that center point, in perfect harmony. He hoped with all his being that they would choose to love him and they would choose not to go and dwell further deeper into that sin because if they did fall further into the world of the flesh, he knew that there was no coming back from it. The only way to come back from it would be to completely destroy everything and start again. Destroy all history, the universe, all matter completely. And reconnect the union with the, uh, the, the flesh, with, this, with the spirit once more. And it was, ex he knew also that there was an extremely likely potential that these beings would fall into the traps of the flesh because there's only one way to go. That's the only direction. He probably knew that it was very, very likely that they would fall into the flesh and he just hoped that they wouldn't. But he wanted to share his love so badly that he took the risk anyway. And he created this potential for absolute destruction, for the spirit, I guess, his own spirit to be torn apart in a way. He created this potential just because he really loved us and he wanted us to return our love and to feel his love. Because it's one thing to love, but also to truly experience love, you have to also understand what it is to experience hate, to not experience love. You have to just know what the lack of love means. There's just no way if you existed only in love that you could value it to the maximum degree. You do value it to the maximal degree in the beginning as Adam and Eve did. I mean, not value, but you exist in the maximal degree. But since you know nothing else but that, you can't truly value it or know what you have until you lose it essentially. And so, God gave us the maximal amount of love, the greatest thing that there possibly is. He allowed us to experience his love from a third person perspective. In other words, he did the best that he possibly could. He gave us the ability to, he did give us that infinite union, that infinite love. And it was from a, the amazing thing about it is it was from a separate point of view because if it was only from the from the spirit from the realm of the spirit as i was saying the spirit of god knows nothing else other than his own spirit and it's very incredibly beautiful to be able to not experience love and then experience love. God gave us in the very beginning, the maximal amount of love. He gave that to Adam and Eve and they didn't know what they had 
And so they naturally stepped away, took a step away into the realm of the flesh. And that is what original sin is. So from that point forward, you can imagine God was very upset because he really believed in this dream that we would simply be enough and enough love that we would just love him. Or maybe he knew, you know, it's hard to say. I personally believe that there's probably two separate types of consciousness that God has. There's an infinite knowing outside of time version of himself. And he also have has access to a more limited, similar mindset as us. Being that we're his creations, it makes the most sense to think that, and since he is infinite, he has the ability to access or be that sort of infinite all-knowing omniscient God, or also he's able to be that limited sort of unknowing of the future God as well. And the God that relates to us the most is that one of Jesus, of course, which is before Jesus, which is the one where he has a personality and a personality requires unknowing of all things. It has to be limited. A personality requires limits. There has to be bounds. Otherwise, you are everything. And I believe that God existed and accessed that sort of limited, limited version of himself purposely when it came to the relationship between him and Adam and Eve. And it wasn't necessarily for his good, it was for our good. It was because he loved us. And anyways, the reasoning of that, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't thought that through yet. So in comes original sin. We've moved now further away from the spirit. One step, perhaps. God knows now, now there's no way to go back. Now we've experienced something more of the flesh and disconnected ourselves with the spirit. And from that point forward, it was just a very slippery slope. This continued happening quicker and quicker until in comes in the Bible, the flood. Essentially, there was nothing to be done. God wanted to erase history as much as possible. Erase all of those bad things as much as possible. He was sparing us. He could have just snapped his fingers, destroyed it all with, you know, with the snap of his fingers and reset everything. But because he loved us, he felt a genuine connection. He, he wanted to do more than just that. He tried to fix things in a different way. And obviously the flood, it didn't work ultimately. Because you just can't, it, it worked in a way, but it may have not worked to the degree that he wanted to. And there was just a lot of history in terms of what continued happening and God trying to bring his people into salvation nonstop. But as we can see in old the Old Testament that it just failed nonstop. It always failed all the time, no matter what. But God kept on trying. He kept on giving us the opportunity. And he just didn't give up on us. And all this time, we're just moving further and further and further away from his spirit and the history of the world. It's just, it's like a snowball. It collects and it makes it even harder to slow down and move towards the flesh. 
it just everything together is just like an exponential continuous cycle where everything was just getting absolutely horrible for us as humans. And Jesus, Jesus is where this all starts to come together. As I was saying earlier, we can think of the spirit in the flesh, the spirit as a non-thing in a way. You know, it's a non-thing. It's a thing that's a non-thing. So it's like empty space. It's not there, but it's there and it's a requirement. Everything lies on top of it. Our globe lies within it. And all matter lies within it. It's not a thing, but it's the most prominent thing. So in other words, really, really making this abstract and breaking it down, it's like the spirit is like a zero. And the flesh is like a one, essentially which is the same idea behind the universe, sort of the universe. The, the um, empty space is a zero and matter is a one. In order for one to exist, there has to be zero. They're infinitely different, yet infinitely in intertwined. It's all paradoxical. And the same way, in the same way, the flesh and the spirit are inter intertwined in this really paradoxical way. But also in a way that makes sense to us. It's the spirit is a zero. In order to be for a one to exist or manifest, there has to exist a zero. Otherwise, essentially, you can't just have one, when I mean like the number one, you can't just have that without the sort of, without a priori knowing that of zero, I, I guess. You can't have one without a priori knowing above, of zero. And so, Income Jesus. God did this very amazing, miraculous thing. And it's hard for us to truly understand on how many levels this is amazing and miraculous. But I'm starting to understand it a little bit. Jesus was necessary and absolutely necessary to save us. Because he is both a one and a zero at the same time. He manifests both fully the spirit and both fully the flesh in complete unison. God himself in complete unison with the flesh. This wasn't the same kind of unison as us in the beginning, Adam and Eve, being equal parts flesh and spirit or maybe not equal parts, but some sort of perfect harmony of flesh and spirit. This isn't that same kind of, that's not what Jesus was. Jesus, Jesus was a step beyond that. He was paradoxically both fully the spirit and both, and also fully the flesh. Putting this in real terms, it's, it's like at the quantum level. We have electrons that we've been able to see manifest two different um, two different states at the same time. It's kind of like the idea of Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat, except for we've actually been able to measure the the electrons on the on the quantum level we've actually been able to measure that they exist and we've done this with very high certainty 
that they manifest two different values. Essentially, it's like a one and a zero, both at the same time. It just depends on from which angle you come at the electron and which way you perceive it. But we know that an electron is capable of manifesting both two separate values, which goes completely against that uh, fundamental law of nature that we understand and know. So even just looking at that, we can see that paradoxes do exist in the universe and that we've been able to measure these paradoxes. And of course, there's always a possibility that there's some kind of error or that we just haven't gotten to the point. And that's what a lot of people claim. They just think that we haven't been able to correctly figure out how to measure this or we just have a lack of understanding but we've never been able to overcome this hurdle and see any other way around it. And it seems like there's, there's a very large possibility that on the quantum level, things behave much differently and things do behave paradoxically. So we can actually see physical evidence in our universe that proves that this dual sort of manifestation is a possibility. And so that's, that's sort of how I imagine Jesus. It just depends on which angle you come from, but he inhabited fully both values. It depends on which way you look at him or when or how you sort of observe him like the electron. But he manifested both fully the spirit and both fully the flesh because there's just no other way he could have been. God himself, God himself, is infinite how can an infinite god limit himself in a finite flesh the only way he can is by remaining infinite otherwise it's just not possible you know there's just no way an infinite god can place himself into a finite flesh and limit himself he still has to have always that aspect of infinitude and his flesh Is the requirement there was a requirement of him to join the flesh at the same time while remaining infinite and by joining the realm of the flesh he fully manifested it completely at once because being because it's it's a one it's a one or a zero flesh is a one he became flesh and now he existed fully as the spirit within the flesh. The idea is God himself could not have come into the flesh without being an infant without maintaining his, his infinitude essentially and it's just very it is very paradoxical but that's what jesus is he is the paradox and i've noticed that in the universe in the world and everything in general is a paradox but underlying everything is a paradox the fundamental nature of everything is paradoxical which is the beauty of everything that's a whole different topic though Now, why did God choose this specific route to come down in the spirit? I mean, he is an infinite God to come down into the flesh. To, he is an infinite God. Is there really not another way that he could have done this? Like I was saying, he could have completely eliminated all of humankind and extinguished everything, all of history. That's one way. And personally, I can't imagine another way. There's just no way to eliminate all of that history other than that while maintaining the arrow of time. Okay. Now, 
to understand why Jesus, why God came down and why it was absolutely necessary, we have to think and consider what is love exactly. Love is the union of two. The union, which means two become one. There's absolutely no separation there. There's degrees of love where two become closer and closer, but the highest state, the most love, is an absolute union where it is simply one, which means there's no separation in virtues. The two beings believe the exact same things wholly. They understand each other wholly. They're whole. And they're holy. Two must be one in perfect union. It's not like it's not like two are one. It's just there was two and now there is one. And that's and that's love. That's the highest state of love. Because love is like the Spirit of God, which brings and pulls together everything. It's like, it's like the glue of everything. And it's always striving to pull these things and hold, hold everything and become one again with God. It's always striving to become one again with God. And as I talked about earlier, the highest state, well, the highest state of love is one, which would mean just the spirit of God and nothing else, which means it doesn't allow the room for us to exist as separate beings. Because if we are just one, then God himself is just one, you know? That's perfect love. That's the highest state of love, as I was saying. That's not the kind of love that is possible for us. It's, we strive towards that love, but in a way, that perfect union of the spirit is not actually love because it knows nothing else. As I was saying in the very beginning, Adam and Eve, in a way, you know, it is ultimate love that we know now, but as it existed on its own in just the spirit, that was love, but it couldn't have been truly recognized. So comes the question, what is better? You know, ultimate love, without knowing it or love with contrast whereas you can actually know the love but you're limited in that love and the only limit is that we can't ever be god we're not god we're never going to be a part of his spirit so it's not really a limit it's more so and that's kind of the weird sort of paradox about it is like it's almost, it's not almost, it's better to not have that infinite love, to not be that infinite love, because it's like, there's no way to appreciate it. So for us, being that we are fleshly beings with this field of potential for hate and for not loving, we are completely different from God and separate in that sense that for us, the highest state of love is not necessarily us being one thing. You know, we will always be, we will always be separate from God, but inner, but connected to him, which allows us to truly love him and experience his love. So it's a little bit different for us. So the idea of the highest state, the highest ideal of love is yes. The fact that love is just two becoming one thing, that's the virtuous highest ideal of love. But, but virtues, like they exist in the spirit 
and they don't really manifest in in reality when you bring flesh they don't manifest in the same way in in reality as they do in the spirit for example we could pretty much imagine the most amazing sort of existence possible you know whatever it is whatever makes us happy and at the same time we know that it's not possible in this physical realm our spirit has the ability to explore this infinite realm of potential for our spirit and when i say spirit that's i'm also kind of relating it to like our consciousness because that is our spirit so we're able to explore this infinite realm our spirit is boundless we're able to explore this infinite realm of potential and explore these ideas and being that we are fleshly physical beings we're never able to actually manifest that potential and do all those things because we have this structure of the universe that holds everything together and that doesn't allow us to explore that infinite realm of possibility and potential so that brings us back to the idea of love we can imagine the highest ideal of love and we can always infinitely strive towards it but the flesh is in the way in the same way that the flesh is helping us to always be able to progress always continue forward and always love more it's at the same time once again it's a it's paradoxical almost in in the fact that it's our soul it's 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 the number one thing that hurts us but also the number one thing that helps us we're able to we're never able to to reach that highest state of love but it doesn't matter because we can always strive and we can always we can always progress forward and always love more and there's never a limit to how much we can love because like a logarithmic scale you're always infinitely infinitely loving and learning to love god more and that that's that's kind of what the spirit's like the spirit is infinite and then we have our physical realm which is limited and we're able to always strive towards that infinite but we're always limited we're never able to truly achieve that with the flesh and love now in the world we have a bunch of people who live to varying degrees in union with their flesh in other words people some people are further reliant on the flesh than others but in general as a species as a being we're not too far away from each other because we're all connected very closely in the grand scheme of the universe and the grand scheme of time in general although we're very very close to each other and we're basically like if you look at at the whole spectrum we're basically in the exact same spot all of us in terms of reliance onto our flesh the whole human species and human consciousness moves together through understanding through science through discovery through through everything through existence we all move together as one consciousness in the very grand scheme of things and so all of being eventually was so far away from the spirit of god that there was almost nothing that could be done you couldn't reverse all that without destroying everything what needed to happen was there needed to be once again a reset 
where the spirit and the flesh were once again in perfect harmony. That's what God wanted. But he had to do it in a way that it wasn't going to reverse all of history because he loved us. He wanted us to grow. He wanted us to naturally progress. He just didn't give up on us. And so that's a very big problem. How exactly do you do that? How do you put how do you erase all of history without erasing the people? Without erasing the world, the planet, all things in time. How do you? In comes Jesus, which is, as I was saying, the perfect union of flesh and spirit. He embodied both wholly. He manifested both fully. And that's not to say Jesus lived in the spectrum of the flesh, further away from the spirit. It's more that he was flesh and he was spirit. And that there was no way that Jesus could have moved towards the flesh more so enter in terms of reliance there was no way he could have moved further in a reliance of the flesh it was against the nature because he was fully the spirit he had to manifest both he could only manifest flesh but he couldn't move away from the spirit because it was infinite of the flesh there is no way for him basically to sort of like run away from the spirit, move towards the flesh, because the spirit was all encompassing. It was infinite there. There's nowhere to run essentially away from the spirit because he's all of it. He's the whole spirit of God and the flesh. He just is there in the flesh. He just has the flesh, which means he manifests a one. He has flesh. Okay. Okay, so to truly understand why he did this, why this was necessary, we have to think about what he did first. Because coming down is not possible. Jesus coming to the earth doesn't make sense without the rest of the story. There's no way to truly understand because why... Why is it that uh, one and uh, someone who manifested both God and flesh, why is it a being that is a one and a zero both at the same time? Why, how does that help humanity? How does that rescue us in any way, shape or form? You can't understand it without knowing the rest of the story. The sacrifice is a requirement for all of this to come together. The death, his death and resurrection. It's a requirement because him just coming down here and doing that, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, him just coming down and not doing anything, you know, just doing a bunch of miracles maybe and then just disappearing, that doesn't solve anything whatsoever. It doesn't explain anything. And, you know, maybe there's this idea that he could have just started going around and just start, you know, maybe just tapping people on the head and cleansing their mind and making them once again whole. But you just, it's not something that's possible without erasing people's minds, without erasing their history once again. They're, without changing who they are, you can't just simply change somebody you know you can't just simply one moment just make somebody whole with god without completely changing who they are and so that wouldn't have been enough he couldn't god couldn't just come out and start cleansing people that doesn't make any sense those are different people at that point god wanted to preserve our humanity our and our personality and he loved us for our individuality and so what 
happened was Jesus died on the cross and he was born again. It seems like a very trivial thing to us now, being that we're probably largely desensitized to the idea. We've heard it so much. To us, it just almost sounds like a story. Or maybe if it's not just a story to us, it's almost like the way I've always thought about it is like, okay, that's very interesting. You know, God came down and he just, so to sort of, I guess, prove that he is all powerful and he just kind of blew everybody's mind. But that's just such surface level thinking. And it's not, God wouldn't just come here to just sort of blow our minds and just show us that he's God. There's not, that's just not enough. That's not the point. There had to be a much grander underlying purpose. And of course, the purpose was to save us, you know, that's why. And that's what it says in the Bible, and it's clear. But how and why that's the actual way that he had to do it is something that's more unclear. The way I've always understood it in my life, because I probably didn't think about it enough, was he wanted to save us. And the way he did that was by coming down and just showing us that he really loved us by doing a lot of miracles and then by just showing that he was really God and that his death and resurrection was just pretty much proof that he Jesus really was God and that we should listen to him and that the way that he was teaching to love God was the correct way. It's just to me, it would never, that never seemed like enough of a reason for him to die because he could have, like I said, just done a lot of miracles maybe. It's just, there's not enough of an impact of this idea of his death just from that, at least not for me. So why exactly did he have to die and come back?